Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi, and I'm very excited to have some Angie Play talk on board for this episode. So um, I have three guests. I'm going to let them each introduce themselves before we get further into the, the conversation. So Christina, can we start with you? Sure. Hi, I'm Christina Tapia. I'm currently in Sunnyvale, California. I'm former early childhood educator for about 15 years, worked with children ages birth through eight with a focus with on really the four and five-year-olds. Um, after spending much time in the field, I learned about Anji play, loved it, couldn't go back to teaching in the way that I knew it before. And so then I joined the Anji play team to bring Anji play to lots of other educators and people across the world. All right. Thank you. Jesse, your turn. Thanks so much, Heather. And thanks for having us back again. It's, it's really exciting to be able to share this next little bit of time. That door you. is always open. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I, you know, we have a lot to say about everything we hear on your program and there's oh. so much incredible stuff. Um, you know, the, the professional love episode, mm-hmm. um, you know, evidence, we, you know, we, we could fill the show with our thoughts about Just those your responses. Yeah. I know we're going to, I know we're going to jump into Angie play because that's, you know, that's why we're yeah. here. Um, yeah. Jesse Cofino. Um, I live in Northern California. Um, yeah, I'm the proud father of, of a seven-year-old and a one and two-thirds year old. I guess that's the way you say it, whatever months, however many uh-huh. months he is. Um, for the last like seven, seven and a half years, I've been working really closely with Miss Chung Shui Chin, who is the founder of the Anji Play Approach in Anji County, China. And that has allowed me to work with incredible people like Christina and Emma, who you're going to meet in a minute, and to meet people like, like you, Heather, professionals like you, and just share this work of creating loving, safe environments for children where their play takes the lead and they have adults that are responding to their needs and just listening and, and, and creating that space. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a huge privilege and opportunity and, and just so much fun. Yeah, it sounds fun. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, we get to have these conversations, which makes it even better. Yeah. Okay. And then we have Emma. Hi, yeah, I'm Emma Pickering. I'm based in Budapest um, and I'm the lead earliest teacher at the British International School here. Um, and I've been working with Jesse and Christina for four to five years now. I'm starting to lose track of time. <laughs> um, I first went out to Angie in 2016. Um, and spent some time just observing in the kindergartens and then returned again with Christina the following year um, to take, uh, participate in the full study tour. Um, and similar to Christina, there's, there's just no going back. You know, once you've been there and once you've kind of immersed yourself in seeing what the teachers do there, there's kind of no but going back. There's only going <laughs> forward. So I spent the last few years talking deeply with Christina and Jesse and really looking at how we can implement the approach within our setting in Budapest. Um, like Jesse, I also have my own family. I'm the mother to a five-year-old who attends our earlier setting. So I actually get to see the impact on him. And yeah. uh, so I get to see those firsthand experiences of the impact that what this is having on him as a learner. And I can see just like how open he is, how engaged he is, and just how those experiences are really impacting him and his overall development. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I get to kind of experience <clears throat> it from that firsthand perspective as a mother as well as a kind of lead teacher there as well. <laughs> That's great. My, my kids are always with me at the program that I worked when they were young. And sometimes that's really great. And sometimes it's, it's not so great. So um, uh, I'm, I'm sort of glad those days are over. 
<laughs> and one thing I would just say really quickly um, is that we've been really lucky, the three of us, to work kind of as a writing team over the last year or so. Oh. Um, you know, we have a couple articles out. I know one is in Teaching Young Children behind the NACI paywall. You know, it's got a nice little um, disclaimer about Angie Play um, in, in leading up to that article. Oh. Um, Whether it's developmentally appropriate, appropriate which practice. is another we have a whole other conversation. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. And yep. um, we also have a recent article, and I think it's the International Schools Network, which is um, free. We can we can share a link with you, oh, that the three of great. us, which really focuses on relationships. And a uh -huh. lot of it, I think all of it comes from Emma's, Emma's program. And so some really nice. nice case studies there. Yes, I've been um, anxiously awaiting. I anxiously await any written work on it because yeah. <laughs> that's what I do when I start to hear about something new is yeah. I look for all the writing I can find about it. So keep writing, please. Um, <laughs> um, okay. So I specifically wanted to hear more and I told, um, uh, these three that I was going to try and take more of a position of, as a learner in this episode. Um, one of the elements, uh, or principles, I'm sorry, I, uh, of Angie play really focuses on being reflective teachers. And, um, I know that that is a piece that, um, some people might find difficult, you know, they read all these wonderful things about um, the Angie play philosophy and the actual schools or school. Um, I guess it is schools, isn't it? More than one. <laughs> um, but then they think, oh, but that would not work in my classroom where I have, you know, um, 30 children and they're three to five and it's just me and two other something like that. So, so I had asked if they could just come on, if you all could just come on and and talk to that. So here's the quote that, that you provided for me to start the conversation. Um, so many of us have access to devices that allow us to record videos of the children in our programs when they are engaged in deep and meaningful play. Today, young children live in a digital era in which technology and interactive media are pervasive. By prioritizing play, by giving children time and space, by stepping back and observing, and then by recording these deeply engaged children we can have access to a rich and complex record of learning and growth. I'm getting all excited just reading the quote. So that's not part of the quote. I'll point that out. Here, we're back to the real quote. <laughs> um, when we use these records to listen to children, to engage in reflection, and to share with our communities, we can both empower children to speak and reflect and persuade others to listen. So I'm going to open it up now for anybody, any of you who want to, to talk to this, but why is this what you, what you sent me when I said, where would you like our starting point to be for the conversation? I mean, I can jump in really quickly and just <laughs> say something brief about why, why we kind of, and again, this is, this is from an upcoming article that the three of us have, have recently okay. finished and it's going to, it's going to be out in a, maybe eight months or so. Um, you know, I think we often encounter these ideas of documentation, of tracking children's learning, of this deep concern about how as adults, as educators, we are, you know, there's a, there's a number of like phrases, how we scaffold, how we support, how we're creating curriculum. And those are big questions. And I think people often look at Anji and they say, okay, here's play. And there's all this other stuff going on. How do we make that possible in our setting? You know, what can we take from Anji and learn from Anji? Mm -hmm. And I think that the reason we brought this quote in um, is A, because we're going back to a basic practice of being present and of making a record of the play that's going on. But all of that comes from having spaces where play is the priority, where deep engaged play, where children are taking the lead, where their intention is taking the lead in safe, loving environments with relationships of trust and care and responsiveness, where child's basic need to lead their own play is prioritized. Mm -hmm. So any conversation about anything else that happens in practice has to begin with a foundation of play. And then once you have that foundation of play, when we start talking about practices, we're even hesitant to use the word documentation because it has so many meanings to so many people. That word documentation does so much work, so much heavy lifting in early educational discourse that we really talk about, okay, we're gonna record play. You got these cameras, you got these phones, they're there. Um, you know, If we are curious, if we're deeply curious about the discoveries that children are making, then that device can be an extension of our curiosity. It can be the basis for us to learn more, to understand more, to be more responsive, to listen better. When I'm using a camera, I'm not talking usually, I'm listening. Um, and when I go back to that video, I'm watching children and not myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think oftentimes in the way we respond to children, it's about 
where we are and what we're doing. And, um, you know, this is just a different orientation, a different practice. And this quote, I think kind of sums up that. And mm-hmm. I'll stop there. And Christina, <laughs> I know you have a lot to add. <laughs> Well, someone's got to talk. There we go. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'll I'll step step in. I think that it's interesting because I think Jesse hit the nail on the head with the like, you have to come down to these foundational principles or this foundational idea that relationship, meeting children's needs and play are essential for children and their growth and development. Mm -hmm. Because we can talk about what the recording play looks like. We can talk about how teachers use that in their practice. But without that like foundation being set, it kind of, the rest kind of doesn't matter because you're not meeting children in the way that they need to be met and the way that they need to be supported. And so I think that that's really, really critical to do. And I think that in programs like Emma's and like through articles that we've uh, read, we really try to like focus in on that concept first. And so like make it abundantly clear that like, yes, these other things are fantastic and wonderful and great. And they're really, really important, but without that underlying principle of like meeting children's needs, children's play is really critical. These children are amazing and complex and competent and able to do so many different things without that perspective. Again, like you can't really get into like those rich conversations about what the, what to do with those recordings or what even recording play can look like. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to share a little bit about what that's been like for you, Emma, and like in your school. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's coming to mind at the moment is just about like stripping back the, the daily schedule. So I think one of the first things that we had to really do before we could even start thinking about recording play is really take a deep look at our daily schedule. Like, do the children actually have time for long periods of play where they can engage with materials that, that are open ended? so that they can actually get to a point where they're so engaged in their play, when you start recording, they're barely even noticing that you're there with your camera because they're already so focused on their intentions and their play and their relationships with each other that you almost become a little bit invisible in the background to them. Um, So you can really then bring that camera out when they're so engaged in what they're doing. And without that space and time in the schedule, the recording play doesn't really have a purpose. You know, if you're just bringing the camera and thinking, oh, we've got 10 minutes of time to play, the children, I'm going to start recording them and make this really quick video and I'm going to get loads of depth out of that. Well, you're not. You need (laughs) blocked out time Uh where the children can really engage in play. And also you need time that doesn't necessarily have these limits to it. So of course there's going to be certain limits in the day, such as the lunch needs to happen at a, a certain time. But around those limits... Like, are you able to allow that play to go on for five more minutes because you haven't quite finished recording the arc of that play yet? So it's like really looking at the schedule as a starting point and stripping that schedule back and making sure there's space and time for the children to engage with those materials that you've presented presented to them. Um, so I think without that, you don't really have a starting point for that recording of play. So I think that's kind of the fundamental starting point is really looking at your schedule and stripping it back as much as is possible. Yeah. And I think you also bring up a really good point, Emma, too, because I think that in the play space, it's really fraught with lots of different definitions of play. And so the play that we're talking about is play that's coming from the children that's determined by their interests, too. And that like recording that play is going to give you a much more, uh, much richer understanding of where their children are, the children are and what they're thinking than if you are recording a teacher set out activity with specific outcomes too. So well, I just and, also wanted to bring that And up. I think to kind of piggyback on that, and I think to also emphasize a point that Emma's making, which is like the child's response to being um, the subject of a video recording, that if the rec- act of recording becomes instrumental, if it is, I'm recording this video to teach a lesson, or I'm gonna record this video to bring up a particular point about play, um, then, that is also changing the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So like, if you go into video recording saying, I'm gonna capture this because I want to see this and I want the children to reflect on this, then you're approaching a play without a curiosity, a deep um, uncertainty about what that play means for children. You're saying, I know what's important in this play and I'm going to capture, I'm gonna use this camera to share with children what's important to me as the teacher. And that's a very different stance, attitude than, than I think what we're describing. And so there is this tension, right? Which is um, if you give lots and lots of practices, right? If we talk about all the different practices that are part of reflection, maybe in an Anji play school and Anji, you get focused on the instrumentality, you're focused on outcomes, you're focused on learning and the play is not the priority, right? As Emma is saying, like 
we say play as a priority, not just like make sure kids play every day, but like if three children need 30 extra minutes, how am I going to try as hard as I possibly can to have them stay out for that 30 minutes? Cause that's important. I think similarly, the tension is, is that there are simple practices that we can say recording play is an in to developing that curiosity. Recording play is a doorway to being present and not talking while children are playing. Mm, yeah. We have to be, we have to kind of pick and choose because we don't want to start layering on more practices beyond that. Because oftentimes we'll get a question, which is like, oh, you know, we, we've, we sat through these three seminars on Anji play. I'm at this school setting and let's say in Singapore, uh, you know, we have play that's kind of like that, but tell us more about how you're doing play stories or how you're doing children's reflection on sharing. And the question in my mind, I think the question we was always back, asked back is like, well, first let's talk about what kind of play is actually happening there. Mm. And like, we can't be there. So can you send us some videos? And that's where you're really having a conversation about the relationships, the schedule, right? Yeah. The, the how prioritized play is. And usually you realize it's like, we're not going to be talking. You're not going to be thinking about how you're going to respond to what children are saying about their play until you're actually listening to them in play itself, let alone listening to what they're saying about play after they're done playing. Um, so yeah. insofar as it's applying this to settings that are not Anji, regardless of what approach they're embracing, um, it's kind of, there's, there's, it's, there's no point talking about this practice unless that play is already taking place, mm -hmm. unless there's a big stretch of time where children are deeply engaged in, in play that comes from their own intentions and adults are present and observing that. Mm -hmm. um, of the, the the basis and so that's where the work really starts yeah and i i think um that it might be useful to clarify because again most of us when we hear the word reflection we're thinking about ourselves reflecting on ourselves or our own practice but this is this is children coming together to reflect on the video of what the, how they were playing or right yes so and yeah, okay so yeah, talk about that yes. a little bit yeah, yeah okay. I mean, christina emma i mean emma has a lot of research there's, there's kind of like multiple layers to that uh -huh. reflection and i think yes there is that layer of reflection where children are coming together at some point in the day um to talk about their their, their play through these videos that we've mm -hmm. been recording um and throughout that play period you would be recording quite in-depth videos quite long videos um, and then you would kind of share these back with the children so that's kind of one layer of it mm -hmm. and I think that one of the things that that layer has done for certainly my team of educators it's really empowered them to be able to step back so going back to that piece of stepping back that Jesse was just talking about by recording the children's play and reflecting with the children about their play using these videos teachers really feel like they can step back because they've been able to see um, the depth that children's play can go into. Mm -hmm. And also through that reflection with the children, they've also been able to see the depth of the discussion that children are able to have around right. their play. And they start to see like all of this interconnectedness within the children's development through these videos of play. Yeah. So I would say that that's kind of one layer of it, that reflection with children. And that is very empowering for staff once yeah. they start to see what children are really capable of. To but I would say Say like the layer. I'm sorry, Emma. I would say the layer before that though is like the layer of teachers coming together to reflect on videos themselves because again that gives the teachers the opportunity to practice that curiosity about the play that's happening. So they're not just going from oh I'm watching this play now I want the children to talk about this and talk about this particular thing I saw in play. But like how can you get teachers really um, involved in this practice? How can you set aside time for these teachers to come together, talk about these videos, and explore their curiosities about the children together? So by creating that and creating the environment where teachers are naturally curious, then they can bring that curiosity to the discussions that they have with children. But again, like without that play, without teachers being deeply curious and having time to reflect, <clears throat> then that the child reflection piece, it kind of doesn't make any sense because sure. you're kind of skipping too far along yeah. without really embracing the process yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think even with that adult reflection, I think there is that kind of coming together of, of adults where adults come together in groups um, and they reflect on children's play through the videos that they've recorded. But I think on top of that, my team of teachers, and I know this happens in Angie as well, 
that teachers are reflecting individually on those videos as well. So often you're playing those videos back to yourself and watching them like multiple times, often before you even bring those videos to your team, you've watched them multiple times yourself. And you start to see things within the videos that you maybe didn't see the first time. Um, and you start to really build up a picture of those children and their development. And I think by watching those videos back multiple times, you learn so much about those children. And I think that also really empowers you in those conversations that you have with parents. Um, so those and sharing those videos back with parents as oh, well. So yeah. I think there's all of these different layers to why we're recording videos. There isn't one specific purpose. There's these different layers and different purposes to why we record videos and how that helps to just build a clearer picture of each individual child and each individual child and how they interact within a group. And I think that um, it's also empowering. I mean, for all those reasons in a professional sense and um, you know, I, I love reading and I have nothing against theory, um, you know, uh, to a certain extent, you know, we don't talk about Bruno Bettelheim, you know, in our <laughs> conversations. Um, but what I would say is that in the act of recording, you know, as an extension of curiosity of discovery without an agenda to teach a lesson or prove a certain point, right? Mm -hmm. I think similarly, when we revisit video, either individually, you know, as a group of educators with children, with parents, whatever, we are generally trying to not apply any particular pre-existing frame, theoretical frame to what's taking place. I mean, we can, that can be an exercise, mm -hmm. but a lot of it is about this incredible experience of, okay, we saw the play in the moment, maybe we were really engaged in something. And then now we have a chance to like pull out a little bit, like step back even from that moment when we're watching it again. And what I find, which is amazing, is that we'll be involved in reflection and I'll see something like, oh, you know, this, this child was grabbing that from that child and then he pushed her back and then they played together. And I say that to a group of people and then we watch it again and I'm completely proven wrong. Yeah. I watch it again. And so that constant challenging of assumptions, that constant embrace of the fact that we don't know what this means for children. We don't know what's going on for children in that play. We don't know what it means to that other child over there. Um, and every step of the day, you know, outside of like, you know, relationship building and independence around, you know, daily routines or, you know, other things that are just part of a child's day at school mm -hmm. and a teacher's and educator's day at school. It's always about listening and finding out more and more about that play. And that what that play means shifts, even for the children involved, yeah. it gains more detail. We gain more insight. As we watch those videos every day, we see more and more about a child's trajectory, about a group of children's trajectory with materials. And so then as we cast, we try to challenge those assumptions, as we're questioning some of the, maybe those subconscious theoretical frames we're putting on there, we develop our own story of who children are, who that child is, that is deeply informed by that child's own story and the other children's story, mm -hmm. and is informed by a really scientific process of constantly questioning our assumptions and like testing our hypotheses. And a lot of approaches to early education, there isn't that embrace of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, well, when I'm good enough, I'll know exactly what's happening developmentally exactly. for this child. This is what yeah. they're doing here. This is what they're doing here. And so I can pr produce a nice little emergent curriculum package for yeah. the next month around, you know, slugs and sticks and, you know, an inclined plane, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which, you know, it's not yeah. bad. I'm not, it's Those not are fun criticism. things. Yeah. Yeah. But well, it's just a very it, different orientation. Yeah. What yeah, it, yeah. I was good. Go ahead. Heather. <laughs> what that is all reminding me of actually is right before we were recording, I was reading a book about theory <laughs> and um, something, you know, it, there was a, just a statement that said your brain becomes what it does most often. Um, or, you know, something along those lines. And as I was listening to you, Jesse, I was like, that's exactly what's happening is you're, you're engaging in this curiosity. Um, you're challenging up assumptions repeatedly in a way that's going to sort of train your brain to think that way more, more comfortably, uh, more deeply to make that your go-to instead of maybe stepping in and being a teacher, being your go-to. Um, so there, yeah, there's a lot to think about in just that that little bit there and i want to see just one brief thing which is it's a joy for, for, and you guys can jump in and tell me if i'm wrong but that reflection is often a very joyful experience yeah it takes a risk of like setting aside those assumptions and it takes a really safe environment like a, a, an environment of love where you're supported in doing that work whereas an educator you're told it's important for you to question your assumptions it's important for you to not know but it's important for you to go and seek answers or seek more questions that is your core work and so Anji play in a lot of ways or true play in a lot of ways is actually quite simple, but it's really pedagogically intense. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, it's a deep commitment to doing something that is not lots and lots of moving pieces, 
but has these profound kind of ripples as that reflection is, you know, engaged in. Yeah. So I want to get back to Christina because she's tried to jump in a couple times here. Um, I was just going to add, like, I think you touched on this, Jesse, though, like, I think a lot in a lot of different early childhood philosophies or just, you know, practices, um, teachers are trying to get to the expert level, right? Like, I want to be able to know everything about this. I want to be able to be the expert and be able to talk to other people, talk to parents, talk to whoever about this. What I really like about this reflection practice is teachers can really jump in in whatever part of their teacher development they're at. So like the really cool thing about this is like, I, with my experience, bring all my experiences with me to these video reflections. So I might notice or be tuned into particular things new teachers are probably tuned into like very different things. And that creates such fascinating conversations amongst the people that are reflecting together. And so it's a way of teachers that don't have as much experience also jumping into practices that they don't have to have a lot of like theoretical background or knowledge Mm. to be deeply engaged in. And I think that because of that, they are constantly striving to up their game and their professionalism. How can I take better videos? How can I, um, how can I continue to be reflective this practice? Like in my practice, how can I expand my curiosity about these children, which naturally makes them better teachers because mm-hmm. they're constantly wanting to get to know the children in front of them better instead of turning to books and saying, okay, well, if I just know this theory better, then I'll be yeah. able to support the children in my class better. Yeah. yeah. I would imagine yeah. it establishes a, a stronger feeling of collegiality than we see in a lot of early childhood programs too, if yeah. they're always doing this work together. Um, and Emma, you can probably speak to that. Yeah. You yeah. have a lot of experience with that as the leader of the early childhood program at your as, school. As Jesse was speaking and as you were speaking, Christina, the thing that was coming to mind for me was just like what Jesse said about this joy, like we're every day, like me and my co-teacher, Belle, like we're just surprised every day. Like every time we do that reflection piece with the children, we just find out so much more than what you're able to see from just observing them, right? And just videoing them and just reflecting as adults on the video. By actually hearing what they have to say, we learn so much. And like we finish the day with such smiles and just talking about, we then reflect on the conversation that the children had when we when we reflected with them. So there's just this continual reflection and mm-hmm. just within that continual reflection, it's just, it's always about the children. It really just permeates and centers around what the children are doing every day. Um, and I think just, the, the reason that happens is because in those conversations, in those reflective conversations that we have with the children using those videos, or sometimes it is just still photographs as well. We do often capture some still photographs as well. If there's like specific things that we're like, oh, I'm really curious about why they put that pipe there for that specific purpose. So I'm going to take a photograph of that pipe placed in that specific way. And hopefully the children might want to talk about that pipe and we might find out why that what the function of that pipe was. So it is video and it's also still photographs. But I think the main point I want to raise is just around letting the children lead that conversation, not having like preconceived ideas about where you want the conversation to go, Mm. but just having like a really good bank of material from that play from that day for them to be able to go deeply into those conversations Um, and just really when you are questioning children, I think just not not leading them, just being very like open-ended in those mm-hmm. questions that you ask the children and really like allowing children to question each other as well, because they often ask more interesting questions <laughs> than we do. <laughs> so do you have examples of the kinds of questions you might you might use with children when you're watching a video? Yeah, I mean, it's, it varies day to day sure. um, and it's diffi- I think it's very difficult to be specific. And I yeah. think many people go on like study tours to Anjun. It's kind of one of the first questions they ask, well, what questions do I yeah. need to ask? <laughs> I just knew so, that that would pop into minds as they're listening. And I wondered. Yeah, like I think it would, be more, it would be more things like, can you tell me more about this? And, yeah. Oh, yeah. I see you placed this pipe there. Can you tell me like like what the purpose of that was or why you decided to do that. Mm-hmm. So just very, very open-ended questions and not being too specific with the children and trying really hard not to lead the conversation mm-hmm. in a direction that you want it to go oh. and trying to just like put kind of, cause I mean, we do have curriculums, right? So they, they, that, that does exist, but it's trying to really put that to one side because actually when you go back and look at the videos and look at the conversations, a lot of those curriculum connections are actually already there and we don't actually need to dig for them in the way that educators often feel like they should. Well, and I would 
And I would say that, you know, kind of a question I sometimes ask in response in spaces, what are the questions that were asked? I might say like, well, to you, what kind of question is a question that you would ask if you were deeply curious about something and you didn't want, um, you know, what you were thinking about it to be part of the question? Mm -hmm. What kind of question do you ask, right? But I think the other thing to think is that oftentimes you don't even need to ask questions. A lot of times, if you put up a video of play, children will just start talking about it. And then, you know, there is, there is a degree of kind of um, being supportive in having general expectations around conversation that you're that you're part of right so like oh did everyone hear him or her you know can you say that again more clearly because they said that you could they couldn't hear you oh you know that's really that's that's you know that's a lot can you hold on for one second because so and so wants to speak so there's a really important point of modeling of teaching what listening looks like for children mm -hmm. so that conversations can happen i think something that i've heard miss chung describe in these reflections that children are a part of that they're really leading is that she talks about like a clash of ideas, that a clash of ideas is a great thing, that a synthesis that, 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 um, that, that, um, what do you call that? Um, when everybody's on the same page, a un unanimity or, agreement. Yeah. That, that's not important. What's important is that people, the children say, you know, if they need to defend, but that they put out there what they believe is happening. Uh -huh. And so again, for an adult, even beyond questioning, if a child puts forth a, a hypothesis that's wrong or uses a wrong word, the teacher's not going to, the adult, the educator's not going to step in and say like, oh, well, what you really mean is the cylinder was doing this or, uh -huh. oh, you know, that's, that's, that's not really true. Like, you know, yeah, those can, like, all the children can believe a wrong explanation of something for as long as they want, because they're going to go back and observe the reality again and again and test it. And so maybe that what we did, did think of as a mistake is actually has a degree of truth, right? Yeah. Um, and so you can't get there if your questions are about eliciting particular insights or moving in a particular direction. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Consensus. Was that the word you were consensus, looking for? Yeah, 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah. Christina, yours worked, but I was also like, there's I one mean, that word, there's like, one yeah. word. Well, and so I think that's <laughs> an interesting tension. Yet. That's an interesting tension, right? Like a, 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 um, a setting where the group is, is critical, where community is critical, where, you know, the individuals may be not as, as we think of as prioritized in American culture was about rugged individualism, but where each person is expected to have their opinion, where like conflict within a group is not a problem. That's not a threat to the strength or the love or the safety of that, mm -hmm. of that community and people's sense of responsibility or accountability mm -hmm. to that group. I mean, and something else I want to bring up too is like, we're talking about child reflection and Jesse and Emma brought up like specific ways of doing that. But like, I think Angie, Angie Play, as it's known right now, the teachers have been practicing it for 20 plus years. They've been, you know, engaged in this and thinking deeply about it in all sorts of different ways. They're at schools that implement this to fidelity. And so what reflection and listening to children looks like in individual school settings can be completely different sure. than what we're describing here. It doesn't have to be a formal group conversation. It can be one-on-one. -on -one. It can be with a small group. It could be informal. It could be looking at videos. It cannot be looking at videos, I think something to think about too is videos are a way of jogging children's memory about what happened. So it's not a way of them just describing everything in exact detail. It's a starting off point. So if that mm -hmm. video is going to lead to rich conversation, great, use the video. Sometimes that's not even necessary. Sometimes the play is so compelling that children just want to talk about it before you have a chance to like put up anything. And so it's <laughs> like, you can say something like who wants to share about their play? And then they have a conversation going that doesn't even require any visual aids because they are all kind of in conversation together. Of uh -huh. course, like if they're talking about a particular thing that requires a visual reference, it's nice to have a photograph. So I have the whole group or like that group that's talking about it can see what other people are talking about, but it's also not necessary. So I also think that like a mistake is going into this thinking reflection with children has to look a particular way. Mm -hmm. We're working with different settings where it looks really different than what's happening in Anji. But again, like the core value of listening to children and hearing more about their experiences, mm -hmm. that's the common thread that weaves throughout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think just building on top of that, like our setting is quite different to a school in rural China, like we're an international school, we have multiple different languages within our setting. So the way that we reflect sometimes is that we will sit, like Christina said, one-to-one -one with a child that we know is not necessarily really confident to speak out yeah. in front of the group because maybe they don't have the language skills yeah. yet 
do that. So we might reflect one-to-one -one with them and we might use things like a translate app or we might use things like another child in the group, for example, who speaks the same um, first language as them but has more confidence in English. Mm -hmm. So I think what we've learned to be um, as, a, as a setting is just really dynamic in how we use language in these reflective situations with children. Um, you know, we have um, sometimes using like um, a translate app with children in a whole group dialogue. Sometimes it's one-to-one -one using a translator from the group, one of the older children, for example, because we're a mixed age setting. So we mm -hmm. often have like more confident language speakers that can share a language with another child in the group that isn't as confident. So mm -hmm. I think we just learn to be really, really dynamic. But I think the point I'm trying to make <laughs> is it's like we want we want those conversations to end ensuring that every child that wants to have a voice in a conversation has been able to have a voice. Mm -hmm. um, we've had children through our setting that are um, non-verbal in a sense that they're not using words to communicate, for example, but they're using gesture and they're able to come up and point and show things within the video um, and, and, and be able to get their point across to the other children, but through using like non-verbal language, basically. So we've had all kinds of kind of situations where we've worked with these reflective practices of reflecting using video with children and just had to be like really dynamic and multi-layered in how we actually approach that on a day-to-day -day basis and mm -hmm. you know every day is different in an earlier setting I think we can all oh. we can all vouch for that yeah <laughs> and every group of children is different too like what right. you were saying Emma and I think that like with these like multiple ways of reflecting or listening to children I'm just going to say listening because I think that that opens up things a little bit more is like it gives children opportunities to share at the level that they feel comfortable with. It was interesting when I was in Anji, um, there was, I was following a group of three-year-olds and there was a, there was a child in a three-year-old costume that didn't share with the group for the entire school year. And so I think that that is like really radical and that was intentional. The child was not comfortable, didn't feel like doing it. And I know that in so many settings I've been in, there was so much pressure put on that child to be able to share. Yeah. And she was having conversations with the, the teachers in different ways. She was being heard in different ways. But what was amazing about that particular situation is when you do give children time and space, even in this reflection and give them ample opportunities to you know, approach things when they're comfortable with, then when they do start sharing, it's ridiculously amazing. So like I, the, the next school year, I was like following that class again and I was like spending time with them. And when it came time to share about play that was happening, she was the first one to raise her hand and share, which again, like she hadn't shared for an entire year, but when she was ready, she was ready. And it was really amazing to see teachers give her so much time and space to meet her where she was and not to force her to be any different than the person that she was um, and just embracing that and just figuring out different ways to hear what she had to say instead of forcing her to conform to an expectation that they had as an adult. Well, and I think you're bringing up a great point, you know, in adult reflection, we can meet each adult where they are because they're bringing where they are to that video. Um, I think thinking about in our, in our work in professional development, thinking about true play, thinking about Anji play, that one of the biggest challenges is kind of letting go of wanting to play look a particular way or wanting reflection to look a particular mm -hmm. way. And so again, um, every child that wants to express themselves has a space to reflect, express themselves. Every child who has more resources that would, that would assist them in expressing themselves and being listened to, you know, in relationship one-on-one -on -one, in a group, like, that all comes from what Christina is saying is accepting each child for where they are, for who they are, um, you know, and giving them that time and space. But what I'd say is that, well, I don't want to say like play should look a particular way, the quality or the engagement or the depth or the willingness of children to engage in reflection is going to come down to like the depth of engagement, the quality of the play that mm -hmm. they have. And so, <clears throat> I mean, it all comes back to the idea that, um, you, know, you can have all these wonderful practices. You can try really hard to listen, but if there's not much to share because you know it's reflecting on something that the teacher has set up, right? Like, oh, well, I saw these pictures in Anji. The ladder's really awesome. I set up this ladder course. And then like, I try to convince the kids to like it. And some of them did, some of them didn't. Some of them went off and just started picking the leaves off the trees. And you go back and like, you had two kids that were on the ladders and were doing what you wanted them to do. You put that up you know, that might not, that reflection might not go so well, mm -hmm. but if all 20 kids are picking leaves off of trees and one child found a bug and like you're coming in onto that. And then some <laughs> kids go check out the ladders, there's going to be something to talk about. And so I think the thing to say is that 
an Anji Play program, a really great program that respects a child's voice, could have a reflection that takes place every day for 45 minutes with all the children, or it could be a program that is just in small groups, um, right? But if that if those relationships are right, if the listening is right, then that 45 minutes of the group, some days is going to be smaller groups because that's what the kids need. Mm -hmm. Some days can start a little late because the play went on longer. Sometimes, you know, maybe they just don't do it because there's all this other stuff going on. So all of these ways that reflection can look can be very consistent with the Anji play approach are not in conflict with it, but they all arise from the play, mm -hmm. right? The love, the relationships, the listening and the play. And so I guess we always come back to that because when we look at like, oh, what does a particular form look like? We're going to, we're getting away from, it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't matter what it looks like, but as long as you're listening and as long as children had experiences of play, that's kind of what we're, what we're talking about. And so again, I mean, I think that this can be uncomfortable in some settings, A, to let go of like the role of the teacher and getting children to a particular place, B, like maximizing time for particular learning mm -hmm. outcomes. I think one of the big things I see from a lot of American educators is like an idea of fairness. Um, or, or opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, if this, if, you know, if this, this three-year-old Christine is mentioning for six months or eight months, didn't talk during group reflection, like, is that unfair to her? Like, should she have more opportunity? And again, if you're in a program where you have really close loving relationships with each child, that child is not missing out on a safe, loving relationship. They're not missing out on the foundation to speak when they, when they want to speak mm -hmm. and when they need to speak and to have their communication, whatever form it takes, at least have somebody who's striving to understand what that means, right? My commitment is to understand. I, I want to know what that means. Okay, you don't want to share? I'm not going to push you, right? Um, you know, because you're communicating to me. Part of your communication is I don't want to speak. And that is right. a valid form of communication. Yeah. Um, and that has to do with letting go of a lot of, you know, the stories that, sure. you know, we want children to enact. Mm -hmm. um, well, and there's a, a deficit model approach in a lot of American programs and probably others, but I know the ones I've been around uh, worked in where, where it's difficult to embrace any kind of play pedagogy <laughs> because you can't, you can't look at that from a, well, what are they lacking and what can I do then to, to get them to the next step on my checklist? Um, I think that would make it, makes it really difficult too. But mostly what is happening for me as I'm listening to you all is it's making me want to go back to working directly with children <laughs> and I'm not sure I can do that yet. So you're uh, really you're stirring up my my restlessness. <laughs> Go ahead, Emma. Sorry. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you've just said about this deficit model. I think my colleague and I were just talking about that today because she's kind of like in the in a situation she she's working on a research project, and we had this conversation around like how most research projects end up basing themselves around this idea that there's some kind of deficit. Yeah. And like I'm going to carry out this piece of research, and my research is going to kind of fix this deficit. So mm -hmm. we had this big conversation around it, and we've had some student teachers um, through our setting over the last few years, which Jesse and Christina know about, and they come in and they have this kind of research model, and every time their research model is around like. Where, what's the problem? Yeah. Like, how do I fix the problem? And how is my research going to show how I fix that problem? Uh -huh. So I say to them, as soon as they come through the door, I say to them, I'm like, like, just put your research to one side, put that down. And I want you to spend a week of your time observing, making videos, going back, watching those videos, listening to the children reflect about their play. And I'm certain at the end of this five days, you are going to have a completely different perspective <laughs> on these children. And you're not going to be able to find deficits. Right. You're going to just find like children that have rich ideas and children that are deeply engaged and children that can be articulate and surprise us every single day. And then mm. we're going to have to figure out a new research model for <laughs> a piece of research. That's amazing. And I think that like something that also that comes that that brings up questions for is like, well, this works for normal children, like, of yeah. course, children that, you know, have disabilities, or they have something going on with them. This doesn't, this doesn't neurodiversity, work for them. Actually, exactly any type of thing that makes them different, which mm -hmm. is weird, because all children are different. Anyway, right. So like, kind of yeah. talking about them in that way, I think is a little bit strange. But I think that's just like the dialogue that's happening mm -hmm. in early childhood. And I think that what we found is when you actually uh, focus on the relationship. Those children, regardless of where they are, what, what's going on with them, they know that and they can mm -hmm. feel that. And Emma has some really powerful stories about how just in her setting, embracing play and really making time and space to listen has actually, you know, 
provided tremendous growth for all children, including children that might yeah. be seen as a little bit different. Yeah. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to share, Adam. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think one of the things that kind of stands out recently was one of the stories that we shared in the recent article that we wrote for International Schools Network. Um, and this particular child um, was really kind of struggling to integrate and play. Um, and often what would happen is we would come to have these kind of reflective conversations um, as a class and the children would share about the play and this particular child would, would always be keen to share, always be eager to share, but what was shared would be something completely different to what the other children were doing, even though this child was very much in the same play space the kind of dialogue within her own play was completely different to the other children. And then over time, by continuing to record um, and continuing to reflect with the children, all of a sudden we started to notice like a huge shift in terms of this child's interactions within the play. And especially because like over the course of a week, for example, like children tend to kind of engage in a similar play theme, it plays out, it develops, um, they kind of like build material, different materials into it, but generally like play themes kind of evolve over time. Mm -hmm. So what it enabled her to do was to be able to see what the play theme was. And then as the time progressed across the course of a week, across a couple of weeks, she became very much engaged in what was happening within those children's play. And she was able to join in the discussion um, during like this time when we were reflecting together as a group. But not only was she able to engage in that discussion, what we noticed is that her language in play became much more social. Mm -hmm. So she was able to start listening and taking on the perspectives of others within play. And we kind of reflected on this as a team together. And we just felt that without that reflection piece with the children, we don't think that development would have happened so quickly mm -hmm. for this particular child. We think that development would have maybe, it maybe would have happened, but over a much longer period of time of observing other children, observing how other children interact. But by being able to, being able to see that on a daily basis, right in front of her, very quickly, she kind of propelled herself into social play. And quite unexpectedly for us, <laughs> it really happened like quite dramatically over uh -huh. a short period of time. But I would say that you didn't go into that reflection with the idea that this reflection is going to change her or fix her in any way. And it was built and it was built on her having time and space and autonomy in her play. Right. And, and I think we often see this when, you know, we're talking about neurodiversity, children who are on the spectrum where, um, you know, if a child isn't engaged in a particular kind of play or they're not engaged with other children, there's an active role of the educator in trying to find something that meets their interests, trying mm -hmm. to structure their relationship, trying to provide them with language or cues and how they should interact. Well, I think when we looked at you know, some of these videos that, that Emma, of the child Emma is describing, we think about those experiences and certainly in Anji and other programs, we see it's and of course it's a spectrum. I know there are children who, um, you know, it's much more difficult for them to be in, you know, we might think of as a standard early childhood mm -hmm. setting, even if it's an Anji setting. Mm -hmm. um, but that in, in most instances that we've seen with children on the spectrum who are in, who are in these programs um, is that given space and time, they get a sense of what's going on. They find their position in relationship to that play. Over time, that position changes, they become more involved, they find where they wanna be. Um, and you see this um, change, really a change in kind of the engagement with the material world, with their peers, you know, with their, you know, with everything that's going on that really astounds a lot of the specialists that are brought into work with mm -hmm. them. So, and I think this kind of comes back to this idea of what are we using this video for? What's the purpose? On one hand, right, you know, like I've got this video, I'm not gonna be interrupting that child's play. I'm gonna be seeing what's going on there. I'm gonna be communicating to that child that they're taking the lead is the most important thing that's going on. But now I can show that OTPT person or that specialist what this child is capable of. You know, they said that they couldn't do this and this and this, but in two weeks time, I'm going to show you how not only can they do that, but they're doing all this other stuff too. Mm -hmm. And they need to then reassess what support services they're providing. You provide that video to the parent and the parent says, oh, I had no idea my child could do this or mm -hmm. that's spectacular. Like, how did you make that happen? Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's those aspects. Um, and I think there's also just the aspect of as as educators, as adults, going back to that video shows us that giving time, giving space, 
has a value, right? It's we see we have, I guess I'll use the word here. We have a documentation of the change <laughs> that's taking place. We have a record of the change uh-huh. that's taking place. So it's not just like, oh, I feel like it's better. Oh, it seems better. Mm-hmm. Oh, but you know, the parents saying they're still having tantrums at home. And so I don't really know. It's like, no, like here's this thing that we can all look at. We can all understand. We can all listen to. And again, the child's own experience, their voice, you know, I think people that are advocating for people with disability, their rights always say like, where's our voice? Nobody's listening Mm -hmm. to our voice, you know, in in the conversation about autism, where's our voice? The entire environment of these, of these programs is about that child's voice and their experience Mm -hmm. being more important than anyone else's voice, anyone else's voice about what that experience of play was, what their experience of play was. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess the other thing, and I, and I'm, there's a lot is that when we think about that child, right. Who hasn't spoken for six months. I don't want to say that you don't care about that child. You're not curious about why they're not speaking. You don't want to understand more why they may be not comfortable, why they might not have something to say, but you have a much clearer picture. Right. And so if you know, Oh, that child just needs more time and they're having a lovely time. They seem pretty happy. Then not a big deal. If that child doesn't want to speak and they're going and ripping out the curtains, you know, or they're self-harming, that's a whole nother set of circumstances where you address that. But I think what Christina has said, and we've seen in a lot of programs is even children who, um, you know, may come from, from, from families that, you know, there's a lot of talk about ACEs, what that means that come, you know, that have particular um, developmental diagnoses where their behavior is challenging beyond what we think of as like, quote unquote, typical toddler behavior or typical five-year-old boy behavior, Mm -hmm. where it's really a challenge that even in those situations, Focusing in on a relationship of listening, of being present, of responding to needs creates a community where everyone else has that same orientation towards that child. Mm -hmm. And a child oftentimes who's responding to how they're perceived, the stories that have been told about them, the views that, that, that exist about what that child is capable of, who they are, and whether or not they have value. If the, if the adult in that space, if, if the adult in that space is leading and modeling a relationship of love where they're listening, where children also model that that gives you the best possible foundation to really address whatever needs are then un- still unresolved. Like what are those, what are those, what are those needs for safety that are still unresolved? What are those needs for time and space or movement that are unresolved? What are those needs of rest or of, of hunger that are unresolved? And you can get down and you can, re- you can work to resolve those issues and you can tap the resources at your disposal to have a much more accurate targeted, you know, support for that child, for their family mm-hmm. um, and, and for who they are. Um, I think that's a really profound sort of outcome of, of a lot of what we're, what we see and what we're doing. Yeah. It's very exciting to think about that opportunity that, that on G play gives teachers and children then because of that change in approach and that change in mindset and um, practice. Um, that was powerful. <laughs> So we're about at an hour. I could keep the conversation going, but I'm not sure folks are going to listen much longer than an hour. So was there anything else that you want to add in before we, before we close this episode? I think we covered a lot. Yeah, we did. Yeah, it was great. Okay. All right, then. Well, all three of you welcome back anytime you want to come back. Cause I want to hear all your stories and, um, and, and hear that passion that you each have expressed, um, about the work, um, because I like to share the screen with passionate people, I guess. <laughs> um, so thank you very much for being on Christina and Jesse and Emma. Um, and thank you everybody who was listening. I hope you'll come back again for another episode of that early childhood nerd. Thank you. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.